Hello and welcome to another episode of the Futures Podcast. I'm your host, Shandell Brown. I am the Program Coordinator for Green Schools Nova Scotia. Uh, Green Schools is a program of Efficiency Nova Scotia, and we do presentations in schools from grades primary to grade 12 in the province of Nova Scotia around energy efficiency. And today on the podcast, uh, we are highlighting another green career within the province. Um, Bit of a non-traditional green career this time. I got to speak with Mayor Amanda McDougall from the CBRM, the Cape Breton Regional Municipality. And we talked about uh, what the CBRM is doing to um, work towards mitigating climate change within their municipality. We talked about women in typically traditional male roles. Um, and we also talked about getting youth involved in municipal politics, even if they're too young to vote. Um, it was quite a, an inspirational conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it. Right, so I am here with Amanda McDougall, and she is the mayor of the Cape Breton Regional Municipality uh, based out of Sydney. So welcome to the Futures Podcast, Amanda. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be speaking with you today. Well, we're very excited to have you on and to get the opportunity to talk to somebody in municipal politics, Um, because a lot of of what we do is interviewing people who have green careers. And the interesting thing about your job is that it's not the type of job that you can like go to school to become a mayor. Um, so I'm I'm curious to hear a little bit more about that and to hear about um, some of the sustainability initiatives that the CBRM is working on currently. So to begin with, considering that you can't go to school to be a mayor and that this is a podcast about careers, could you give us a little bit um, on your educational background and kind of how you got to where you're at today? Yeah, I I love that you pointed that out. So I think that is the beauty of politics, that since it is a democratic process and you get elected in, there really are no prerequisites to who becomes your community leader. Um, It's good and sometimes it can be tricky, but my background uh, very much focuses on community economic development. I worked in the nonprofit sector for a number of years, but I went to school um, and I studied political science and English when I was in university and went on to further my post-secondary in international relations. Um, But along the way, um, you know, participated in projects. For example, I went to Guatemala on a program while I was at St. Avex to really do some research on the ground into uh, the land reforms that were taking place after the civil war concluded in in Guatemala and working with the Mayanachi people. So the intent of that visit and that research was around more policy legislation and looking at that piece of it. But what I learned when I was there was how incredible um, the Mayanachi people are at living in harmony with the world around them. So um, Mm -hmm. being super respectful of the environment taking only what they need from the earth uh, and leaving it in a healthier way than they touched it first. Like it it was just, I feel like everything I've ever done has always come back to finding this balance and respect for the planet. And I mean, the way I really found myself in 
you know, pursuing politics, came back to community again. So I was working at the community community or coastal discovery center here um, Mm -hmm. and met with the board one day. And a couple of our members said, Hey, did you guys hear about that boat? The MV minor? Um, It was traveling. uh, It had left Montreal intending to end up in Turkey. um, But the tow line broke and it's now run aground off of this little island off of my village called Manadu. Um, but it landed on Scattery Island and it's this, it was this humongous bulk carrier lake boat um, just sitting on this beautiful historic and environmentally protected island and nobody seemed to be doing anything about it. So um, I was kind of, um, you know, thrust into this position of leading a campaign to have that bulk carrier removed. It took four and a half years. It ended up costing the government about $12 million to clean it up because it was just really horrendously dangerous for our environment. Um, But yeah, I got frustrated. I got really frustrated Mm -hmm. because I felt like as a younger person, um, sometimes because I was a female in a room full of men, I I felt like my voice wasn't being heard and people were not taking me seriously. So it was after that that I first ran for council in 2012 um, and did not win, (laughs) Mm -hmm. did not. uh, But yeah, kind of put my nose to the grindstone and dug deeper into the community, was doing some wonderful work at Cape Breton University. And um, I had previously worked at ACAP Cape Breton as the education manager. So taking all of these experiences and preparing myself to do it again. And I was, I was successful in 2016 and I became the counselor. And then yeah, last year became the mayor. Wow. Well, congratulations. Um, and, you know, you mentioned there that you, you had experienced just being a woman in a room full of men and and having your voice not being heard. And, you know, you've, you have broken through a a bit of a glass ceiling in terms of being the first female mayor of the CBRM. Not only was I the first female mayor elected in CBRM, but I was also pregnant at the time too. So this was like leaps and bounds of progress in the CBRM. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So what do you think changed between 2012 and, and 2020? Um, I don't know if there's any one thing per se. I think you know, being on council and being one of three women on council with a really strong, loud voice um, and people starting to take note and say, oh, right, Um, you know, politicians don't have to fit this, you know, particular category of pedigree, perhaps, or education or, you know, being a male, because predominantly it was men who who ran uh, various levels of you know, positions of elected official in the past here. So I I think it just took, you know, seeing women do an amazing job in the council setting for for people to be ready for a complete change in, you know, the leadership at the mayoral seat. So Mm -hmm. that was important. Um, I feel in the last election, we saw a younger demographic really, really come out in high numbers and say, Mm -hmm. enough is enough. We want somebody who is mindful of our community in terms of the social aspects of it, but also really loud and clear the importance of, you know, our environment and what is happening around us and what are we doing to do things differently. Heard it a lot. But I think as well, like the learning that 
we have received and continue um, to be so grateful in receiving from our Indigenous communities here, our Mi'kmaq communities, um, it's, it's taking root. And it's this respect, it's this calm knowledge, it's yeah, we're, we're, we're doing better because we're learning more. So I think that's what mm -hmm. happened in the last election. Cool. That's really encouraging to hear. Um, and, you know, it makes me think of, of some of our listeners who may be, you know, in high school and, and maybe female themselves and maybe thinking about careers that tend to be male dominated. And yeah, I think a lot of what you, you said in there is really, really valuable to consider when, you know, just to know that, that yeah you it takes perseverance but that change does happen and um yeah i think we're at an encouraging time in history for women to be breaking through some of those traditionally male roles hugely and i mean just today um you know as we're listening or as we're participating in this podcast our our governor general is an indigenous mm -hmm. woman from the north and being, yeah, she's being inaugurated like, today yeah Right. It's just, I have goosebumps because the diversity of, you know, participation in elected roles and really important community leadership is, is happening, but um, it, it has to happen. Cause I feel like we're at a point now that things were stagnant for a really long time and where people mm -hmm. are saying now, like, holy cow, I can't believe how impactful the effects of climate change are. There's a lot of other people saying, you don't say, we've been saying this for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, like we've been waiting for this change to happen, but fearful that maybe it's a little too late in some senses. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, so you mentioned a bit about, um, or, or I guess it makes me think about <laughs> voting and the importance of participating in the electoral process within our municipalities. You know, we hear there's a lot of, of, um, I guess, education around the importance of voting in the federal elections, maybe to a bit of a lesser extent, but still there for provincial elections. But we don't often often hear uh, encouragement for young people to be getting out and voting in their municipal elections. Um, but we have a, a demographic of young people where that that diversity lens and and the environment and um, you know community involvement are things that have been, are important to them and, and I think have been more a part of their world than it has maybe for the older generation. So yeah, just wondering if you have any any comments on the importance or, or the uh, need to get that younger generation out and participating in their municipal politics. Yeah, so it's funny. I was up in Halifax a few weeks ago and talking to Mayor Mike Savage there at the Halifax mm -hmm. Regional Municipality and we were talking about just that, um, how valuable it is to increase democratic participation. So what started out as a conversation around um, permanent residents not being permitted to vote, even mm. though they are permanent residents, they are huge contributors to our communities. And um, yeah, just because they don't have citizenship, which many choose not to, they're not mm -hmm. permitted to participate in democracy. and. Mm it got my mind rolling and thinking, you know, during my campaign, I had a huge and great honor of many young people from the high school level and even younger participating, even though they couldn't vote. And what I say mm -hmm. to them is, 
it is incredibly important to vote, but it is even more important to understand why why it's important to vote. You have to learn about what is happening at the municipal level. So it's not just garbage and recreation. There's a great deal of policy, bylaws, zoning, um, you know, decisions on how we invest money and what is important that it is not just the voting demographic that needs to be heard. It's everybody. We serve everybody, not just those who vote. Like, let's talk about crazy, creative and innovative ideas. That's not coming from like me who has, an, you know, problems trying to figure out my apps. Like the younger generations are the innovators and yeah. they are the ones that, I mean, I live with a seven-year-old right now who challenges me daily in terms of using my brain differently and thinking about things differently. Mm -hmm. So I, it's incredibly, incredibly valued to have everybody's perspective when you're making decisions. Because if I'm not hearing from young people, that means I'm not representing my community, right? Mm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good point. And it, you know, as you touched on there, it is, it is a, uh, an, an honor and a responsibility that that you have as an elected representative and as all of our elected officials have to represent their communities and so if we if we don't have those young people participating then they you you kind of lose that opportunity to have your voice represented in government oh yeah yeah so it's interesting it's a different way of doing politics though and and mm -hmm. i'll be the first to admit that it you know maybe leaders of the past have not valued that input from younger people as much um, or people of diverse backgrounds. Um, but that doesn't mean that has to continue, right? I think it's exciting. And I think it's really fun um, when I get emails from young people, for example. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was before Christmas. I had just had my baby and all of a sudden, like, one day I started getting this flood of emails and they all started out the exact same way. Hi, Mayor McDougall. I'm part of the civics class. And then they, mm -hmm. they would go on with their, you know, I think this is important and why email. And I, I think I had like 24 in, in a couple of hours. And yeah, my little cousin just so happened to be in that class and was like, um, we forgot to tell you that we were doing a project and the project was to email the mayor. <laughs> right. But it, like reading these thoughts and reading these like these emails filled with passion and facts and you know they really got me thinking like holy cow we really don't take into account um the priorities that are being set by our younger generations because mm. nine times out of ten I'm telling you it was about garbage it was about litter it was about making our communities beautiful and taking pride in them and why aren't you doing more and I, I'm telling you like that was some of the most powerful stuff I've received to date. I was scared hmm. to let them down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What a cool project. I Yeah. Kudos to that teacher. And, know, and I'm right? sure some of them didn't expect to get a response and, and were probably really excited to, to hear that. Yeah. Their mayor does actually care about those things too and cares about representing their views. Right. And I mean, so I'm curious, you've kind of touched on a lot of the things that you are enjoying about about your job, but but what do you enjoy most about your job as mayor? Hmm. I I feel really proud. Um, I feel really proud a lot of the time because I feel like there's some amazing projects that are coming out of our municipality. Um, 
And it's usually not like the big wastewater treatment programs or things like that, which are really cool and super important. But I don't know, when I see things like meetings happening with Kale Dutt, who is a nine-year-old from Sydney River, who said, hey, we need to have a pump track here. Um, and so he started reaching out to my office and the MLA's office and the MP's office um, and our staff members. And we're at a point now that we've put an application in to get a pump park going or pump track, sorry. So I think it's stuff like that when when there's a project that is really meaningful in the community and it's led by community members, but we get to help make it happen. That is the stuff that I love most about my job for sure. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Like, um, super cool. Mm-hmm, that's you awesome. Can, I will have can, to check it out once it's a reality. <laughs> oh my gosh. And like Kale Dutt, who, yeah, his mom is a super cute like hero here. She is a, a doctor, public health doctor, just all around incredible human being. Um, but like Kale is doing these Zoom meetings with all of these elected officials with a <laughs> killer PowerPoint presentation, coming up with a budget, telling us exactly how to get this project done. And yeah, this is going to be a project, mm-hmm. hopefully, um, that we can confirm sometime in the near future. And it was all because of a nine-year-old kid who totally outschooled most of my colleagues like (laughs) with his internet ability or his technological ability just incredible stuff right oh that's awesome yeah Mm -hmm. what a cool example yeah that's really neat um yeah so so talking about you you kind of mentioned some of the sustainability or that you're working on some sustainability projects um what are some of the the goals that the cbrm is is working towards in terms of sustainability right now yeah I think um, over the last number of years, what I've witnessed in terms of work being done um, really comes down to the efficiency coordinators that we have at CBRM and kind of looking at all of our buildings, all of our parks, all of our assets and saying, how can we reduce our carbon footprint essentially and, and, and really do better in terms of consumption. And so every year, um, usually every couple of months we, we hear back from our efficiency folks and, and they tell us like we're getting better and better and better at, at using fossil fuels, electricity and what have you uh, much more responsibly, responsibly, but also much less. So that is really great. And that's ongoing. Um, mm-hmm. We focus a lot right now when it comes to the environment on um mitigating a lot of the impacts of climate change. So we see a lot of flooding in the downtown areas and we're trying to find a balance right now between, um, you know, those projects that require big infrastructure. So I'll give an example, like the Baylard Trail, Mud Lake and Gilholms Lake project is really um, all about reducing the impact of flooding in the Ashby area. In 2016, during the floods here, many homes were lost. Um, Literally, people lost their homes in one day because of the water. So how do we work with the environment to slow some of that water down, um, but also recognize that this, this is all part and parcel of what we've been talking about for 20 plus years. These are the effects of climate change and, and having honest conversations around perhaps we should be putting in zones that um, are no build because really the, the water is never going to stop coming um, and we have to 
we have to be mindful of, of what nature is capable of doing. Um, that's the big stuff. Uh, I think on a day-to-day basis, uh, talking with our horticulturalists, making sure that we're um, planting, yeah, planting that in a way that complements our, our, you know, native biodiversity and making sure that we have native species and pollinators where we can. Mm. Um, yeah, there's so much happening. In September, we will be convening the first environmentally um, themed meeting of CBRM Council since I took office. And so inviting folks from organizations like Clean, ACAP Cape Breton locally, um, some um, kind of grassroots groups like Cape Breton Environmental Organization who are huge into beach cleanups and mm-hmm. a ton of just brilliant folks uh, from our community to help us do better, right? Um, I don't pretend to know how to fix all the problems and be the greenest possible, but um, we're hopefully going to have a bit of a game plan of, I guess, like the stuff that you call low-hanging fruit projects, easy things that we could roll out immediately to help just make our our community cooler and greener. (laughs) Yeah, literally cooler, right? (laughs) Bingo, right? Like, I, I think about that a lot because there is a ton of development happening in downtown Sydney specifically, but, you know, we're building some, well, not we, but the community is um, welcoming the new waterfront Nova Scotia community college campus. There are three different humongous healthcare related projects happening, but with development uh, that means we're taking away some of the green. So how do we keep Mm -hmm. our downtowns cool? How do we increase green spaces? Because of all this development, we're talking a lot about a revised active transportation um, plan and strategy. So that really makes me happy as well. So getting less cars uh, into those areas is better. We can do some walking, some running, some biking, and figuring out the infrastructure necessary to accommodate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. It sounds like there'll be it'll be a a great place to go for a walk. Oh my gosh! <laughs> um, it already is. I I already love the waterfront, but. Yeah. I know it's so beautiful, but you know, there's other, there's other things that might not seem as, I guess, like sexy, but um, looking at all of our buildings that we have and the land that we have and just envisioning, okay, as we develop, as we grow, how can we make our, our current buildings better before building new? To me, that mm-hmm. is really important. It's almost, you know, when we talk about the three R's and, you know, my previous life of being an environmental educator, we're always talking about reducing and recycling, but reusing is really important as well. Mm-hmm. So before you build new, what do you have that you can make better? Um, so we're talking about the need for a new central library. Well, okay, where what buildings do we have right now that we can make better into a, a beautiful space? Is that a possibility? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. It's just a, a slightly different way of looking at things that I think is is really impactful. Mm, yeah. So I'm curious, how do you engage your residents to to get on board with some of these sustainability goals and, and projects? Because they're not always, like you said, they're not always the sexy yeah. project or they're not always the thing that, that people really care about or have the time or energy to, to care about. So how do you get people engaged in CBRM? That's an interesting question considering our current 
situation coming out of COVID. So engagement's been really, really difficult the past eight months since I took the mayor's office, um, simply because we can't gather, right? We can't gather in person in those large numbers that really um, facilitate huge, deep, meaningful conversations. I love town hall setting type um, sessions, but we can't do it. So um, interestingly enough, so we're going through a process right now through our planning department where we're looking at our entire municipal planning strategy. Um, It's going to take about two years. um, But what we've done is develop a consultation process that is much more, I guess, focused so you can bring some groups of people together and stakeholders together um, and just chat with them. Throw some ideas out there. If we're talking about things like setbacks from high watermarks in terms of building, um, bring people from, you know, the Bredore area, Myra River area, um, any waterfront areas and have conversations with them. Because I tell you, the folks from, say, Port Morian, who are quite frankly living on the edge of the cliffs right now that are, you know, receding so fast, they, they have a lot of insight. So it's really, consultation right now is really about honing into those who might have the most expertise. I always say like, we are surrounded by a community of experts. We just need to listen to them and then we make good decisions. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so, okay, that's great. Um, you know, you mentioned that you're you're bringing together for the first time some of these environmental organizations that are within your municipality to hear them out and 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 kind of find out how you can work together. Um, are there any other organizations or institutions in the community that your council is working together with to achieve some of your sustainability goals? And you know, I think of like. Cape Breton University and the Versurin Center specifically, um, or yeah. any yeah any other organizations that you've been working with. So funny enough, just yesterday I was with um, Beth Mason and Annette Versurin, and mm. talking. You know, mm-hmm. Beth and I talk a lot. So Beth is the CEO at the Versurin Center. Um, we're mm-hmm. talking a lot about garbage. Oh my gosh, garbage, garbage. So what do we do with garbage? How do we do better with garbage? We have a contract um, right now in place for the next five years that we either renew and just continue to landfill things, or we look at this as an opportunity to work with our um, Mi'kmaq communities on the island, the five First Nations communities, and our five municipal units, and maybe taking a look through the Vassurance Center. Is there some cool, innovative science and technology out there that we can use our waste and create opportunity for new businesses. So oftentimes you'll hear about um, taking garbage and making alternate fuel sources or turning waste into uh, a new type of building material. Uh, That's what we're exploring right now. But through the Vassurin Center as well, we're seeing what they're doing in terms of renewable energy and really zero cost um, power for communities. And so, yeah, it's all really preliminary. Again, because we're only eight months into this term of council, um, it's been slower because of COVID trying to kind of gather together and come up with these projects. But Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, the Versurin Center, they're just, they're just magnets for 
incredible projects and we've already had them come present to council so they will be helping lead the way for uh, you know really awesome new opportunities for business startups and at the end of the day way better environmental impacts yeah well and, and cbrm is an equal partner of acap cape breton so acap is mm. that you know long-standing Oh, grassroots, deep rooted or environmental organization here on Cape Breton Island. Um, mm -hmm. But we contract ACAP Cape Breton to do a lot of our environmental education, all of our environmental education, oh, really, cool. around mm -hmm. uh, wastewater, source water, you know, really anything to do with water, but mm -hmm. also with solid waste. So there's this really awesome program. And again, I'm completely biased because I know I worked with <laughs> ACAP for a number of years, but it's just so like this organization has been an equal partner of the CBM for 10 years, like a decade. Mm -hmm. So in the summertime, um, there is a program called the Trash Formers Program. So students are hired and they have a team and they have this Trash Formers truck and they go community to community collecting litter and it doesn't sound very glamorous, but it's an incredible job. And the team usually is just like thick as thieves by the end of the summer. But the really important piece from this is that every piece of litter that is co collected is put into a database. So we now have a decade, like 10 full years of litter collection data at our hands mm -hmm. to say, okay, here are the trends. Here is what is happening. Um, here is what human beings are responsible for putting into the environment. Uh, and now let's talk about the impact of those items. So it's really important to have partners like ACAP Cape Breton help us do this education because when you when you bring it back and when you when you can make a person feel like, wow, I am having an impact on the environment and holy cow, it's not good. That is how we change behaviors. And that is how we change the way that not only individuals, but our entire community view our environment and our communities and their actions, right? So mm -hmm. um, yeah, really grateful to have such powerful organizations like ACAP um, as our partners. Mm. Hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I just wanna go a little bit um, more broad right now. So away mm -hmm. from CBRM specifically and just talk about that level of municipal government and, and what opportunities do you see municipal governments having to advance sustainability that might be more difficult to achieve at the provincial or the federal level? Yeah, I think, you know, I look, I look at municipalities across Nova, uh, across Nova Scotia. So aside from being the mayor, I am the president of the, um, of the Nova Scotia Federation of Municipalities. So I represent all 49 uh, municipal units across our province. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing examples of crazy creative projects. So in Antigonish, for example, they're putting up um, solar panels that will complement affordable housing projects that, that they're putting up. So mm -hmm. reducing the cost of living in these buildings which is really important because we know the importance of affordable housing, but doing it in an environmental way. You know, like this is the stuff that it's easier for municipalities to do because 
we are so grassroots, right? Um, we can mm-hmm. we can look at smaller projects. If you're a provincial government, you're you're looking at things from a way bigger lens. Like y- you have to impact, you know, a huge riding of people. We can look at things a bit smaller. Um, and I find when you can do ten smaller projects, the positive impact is actually bigger than one big one that might influence a whole mm-hmm. province, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so looking at that, uh, looking at the way that municipalities are partnering together to create things like huge solar fields that are now um, tap, like linked into the grid and providing beautiful source of energy for their residents. Like mm-hmm. it's so cool, but yeah, we also deal with solid waste. And I think mm-hmm of any level of government to have some sort of impact like solid waste and wastewater. Yeah, that's us. That's our jurisdiction. That's our responsibility. And those are two incredibly important areas that need a lot of focus. So CBRM, for example, um, we have three new wastewater treatment facilities going up in the next couple of years. Okay. (laughs) And that's huge. That is a lot of water being treated before it goes back out into our oceans. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, talking about garbage, yeah, I just, I, I, we have to stop throwing things in landfills, right? Like, mm-hmm. I know it'll never, ever 100% be landfill free, but we have to find new ways of dealing with our waste. And we have to do things like influence provincial and federal governments to implement legislation like extended producer responsibility for printed paper and packaging. Um, mm. making sure that we are putting in rules that tell the producers of plastics, hey, if you're going to keep making this stuff, you're going to have to pay for it. You know, enough is enough. That's mm-hmm. how we're going to change the commercial um, behavior. So there's a lot municipalities can do and uh, influence. So, Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. And, and a good point that some of those those things like, you know, we often think about trash and and um, and water contamination as being, you know, when you think about the environment and, and changes that need to be made, those are kind of two pretty big things. And yeah, like you said, they're entirely within the realm of municipal responsibilities. I've never really, yeah, really thought about that. Right. Now, municipalities also have very little money compared to provincial. Yeah. <laughs> It's really yeah, good to make some more be on that grassroots level and say, hey, big brothers and sisters, we've come up with the idea. Now you have to come and help me <laughs> for it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, fair enough. That's that's the challenge that goes along with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so so I want you to think back to your high school days, um, because this is a oh, podcast no. that is geared towards. <laughs> high school students. Um, And, you know, before being elected, you were the executive director of ACAP and you worked at the, was it the Coastal Action Center? Yeah. Yeah. The Coastal Discovery Center. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, and so sustainability has obviously been a priority for you for a while. Um, When you were coming out of high school and you were, you were making decisions about what sort of jobs you wanted to pursue or education you wanted to pursue. Did you know that you wanted to work in some aspect of sustainability at that time? No, I didn't. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I knew, I knew I had this kind of like fire in my belly 
that I wanted to do something that makes my community better. You know, mm. I was always part of service learning and different um, kind of volunteer driven initiatives when I was in high school and getting a part to be a part of that kind of stuff. So I, I think it just organically happened. Um, like I said, when I went to do my work for my thesis in Guatemala, I went there in, with this mindset on, I need to understand the legislation in the, in the land reform system here. And I ended up witnessing some of the most beautiful environmental work that was just second nature to the residents mm. there. Um, and I think I, I just learned how important this was through all of my experiences. Mm. And it, it was a passion then became a job. Um, mm. It's not easy. It's definitely not easy. It's some of the most challenging work that is out there right now. But I think that is the best kind of work that you can have, right? Yeah, if you're not being challenged, then you're probably not going to enjoy the job. That's probably why I went into politics. <laughs> <laughs> you're looking for the big challenge. Yeah. You really wanted to enjoy your job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, but I think that's what it is. Like for mm -hmm. anybody who is, yeah, who thrives on that challenge, this is the way, this is the place to be. Mm -hmm. But in the same sense, it doesn't matter what you do. You're always going to have um, a way to connect your work to the environment around you. It, like it just, everything is so interconnected. And again, I bring this back to the two eyed seeing concept from um, elder Albert Marshall and Escazoni, mm -hmm. you know, you just, it doesn't matter what, you could be an engineer, you can be an accountant, anything that you're doing, there is a way of, of being mindful of sustainability. If you're an accountant, mm -hmm. you could think about doing things electronically versus printing off, you know, piles sure. of paper every day that you're contributing to sustainability in that sense. So mm -hmm. I don't think, I don't think there's any job out there that you can't make decisions and have influence um, on, mm -hmm. on making our community better. Hmm. I agree. And I, I, that's part of what I love about this podcast is getting to think about and, you know, kind of brainstorm and interview people who have jobs that are contributing to sustainability without necessarily being an obvious connection in their job title. Um, and yeah, like you said, it's, it's those small decisions sometimes that can change how an office building operates or how the job gets done or that the transportation to and from the job um, mm -hmm. that, have a, a really big impact regardless of what the work is that's being done now that being said there are career paths obviously that are very very much you know it, they are all inclusive everything that you're doing is around sustainability and, and environmental mindfulness but mm -hmm. um and, and i think there is a bigger need there is a bigger need for people you know i was talking about the vishuran center and coming up with innovative ways to deal with waste like we're starting from scratch. Like these are cool, brand new, fascinating um, career avenues that didn't exist before. Totally. And I think that's really cool. Like using technology and um, science to just fix these huge pro problems and be the first one to do it. Like that to me is inspiring. It, it's so mm -hmm. exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, you mentioned that 
coming out of high school, sustainability was not really on your mind in terms of a career. And, and I would agree. And, and, you know, I think we, we would have kind of gone through high school in kind of the same generation. Um, but I think nowadays there's a lot more that, well, first of all, there's a lot more environmental education in schools. So students okay. are coming out of high school, knowing what the problems are that their generation has to face. And, and for people who are um, motivated by that, you know, there's a, a slew of jobs, like you said, that are specifically focused on solving some of those problems that we face. Um, so just wondering if you have any advice for students who are coming out of high school who already care about sustainability and are in that process of deciding, you know, what now? What do I do? Am I going for a trade? Am I going to university? Am I going to get job experience? Am I going to travel? Um, it's it, Those are big decisions. And, you know, I remember that time in my life being being pretty stressful. Like it really felt like you were determining what the rest of your life was going to look like. And, and although that, you know, we know that many people have multiple jobs within their lifetimes, it is true to a certain extent that those decisions that you make do start to guide your path. Um, So yeah, just curious if you have any, any words of advice or thoughts for students who are in that position of deciding right now. Yeah, I think, you know, just like little conversations can lead to really amazing and huge opportunities. So reaching out to nonprofit organizations in your community is, whoa, amazing way to tap into a network you probably didn't even realize existed. So Mm. if you talk to the Clean Nova Scotias, you know, um, Ecology Action, ACAP, they, they do so much. They do so much. Like, there is an education component to most of these organizations. There is more of the scientific um, ecological pieces of work that are really important, but there's also the policy writing and legislative influence uh, in these organizations. So reach out to nonprofits and offer your time, offer, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit of volunteering because you're about to tap into this network that is so far reaching and will offer you an incredible amount of opportunity. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that, you know, we don't, you know, 2021, we're, th- th- there's really not that, hey, I'm going into a career uh, for the next 40 years type thing. So don't feel pressured to like plan out the next 40 years. Um, take some steps, do some learning, meet as many people as you can, but don't plan it all out. It's it's never going to turn out to be what you planned anyways, but mm-hmm. there are so many exciting paths that you don't even know exist yet. And oh man, just, yeah, mm-hmm. it's hard to be patient, but they will, you will be guided where you need to go. And it's, it's really fun. Cool. Yeah. That's really great advice. And, you know, they can always use the extra set of hands. And, and like you said, you know, we talked earlier, it kind of comes full circle to that younger generation and the, the perspective and the diversity and energy that they can bring to these organizations um, through volunteering and, and maybe eventually through a career. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. Reach out to your elected officials. Like, if mm-hmm. you feel passionate about, uh, passionately about something in your community, throw an email their way. Because let me tell you, getting involved in politics, too, you don't have to be 18 years old. Do it young. Well, thank you very much again. And, um, you know, con- congratulations on becoming the first 
female mayor of CBRM. And I look forward to, now that I've heard about some of these projects that are in the works, I look forward to kind of following them through the news and, and seeing how they, they turn out. Um, yeah, so thank you again. And, and I hope that you have a good rest of your day. Okay, thank you as well. And again, um, if anybody ever had any questions or wanted to learn more, you can always reach out to me and the mayor's office, uh, our council members here, but also your own elected officials do it. It's, um, it's how good decisions get made. So I encourage everyone, no matter what age, to get involved. Cool. Well, good advice. <laughs> All right. You. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. Well, there you have it. If you've ever wondered what it might be like to be the mayor or what you would have to do to become a mayor one day, Amanda offered some insight into her own process that she took to get there. And also, if you've ever, um, yeah, just had an idea or something that you would like to see changed within your municipality, um, she offered the great example of the nine-year-old who wanted to see the pump track put in in Sydney and he reached out, contacted his municipal leaders, and, and that's happening now. So take courage that, that those ideas are valid and that there are municipal leaders who want to hear you out. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Uh, thanks for listening, and I will talk to you again next episode.